Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This week is basically dedicated to reinforcing with the audience why you need to quit watching ESPN and all the other corporate media outlets and watch this show. Today's show will be another example of the kind of conversation you can hear no one, nowhere else. If you want to sound smarter than all of your friends, if you want to be ahead of the conversation and ahead of the curve and go to parties and tell people really, really interesting things about what's going on in the sports world, in culture, and in politics, you got to watch today's show. We got an awesome show planned for you today. Don't go anywhere. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday to you and yours. Happy day before Friday. We're almost here to the weekend. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to predict it. This will be the greatest show in the history of Fearless. And I believe that authentically. I've got a fire starter to unpack for you all that will help you understand particularly those of you that are sports fans, but will help you understand what's going on in the corporate media space, particularly in sports, and how our culture has been corrupted. Sports culture has been corrupted. This will be a fascinating conversation that we'll have today with Royce White and Steve Kim. And then we will uh, end the show by interviewing Garrett Bush, who's a part of a uh, sports talk television show or YouTube show in Cleveland, had some interesting things to say about uh, DeMar Hamlin. We'll interview him and talk with him. But without further ado, I want to get to this fire starter. I want to get into this conversation that I think will shed new light and give you guys a new perspective on what's going on in the sports media landscape. The embarrassing public beef between Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp reflects the consequence of sports television's embrace of the culture. The culture, and that's T-H-A, the culture, is short for hip-hop culture, the art, style of dress, and mindset associated with popular commercial rap music. The culture foments violence, chaos, petty beef, the prioritization of emotion over logic, and the justification of an immoral pursuit of money, power, and fame. Six years ago, under the direction of then Fox Sports 1 executive Jamie Horowitz, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp dived headfirst into the culture with their debate show, Undisputed. Horowitz paid rapper Lil Wayne to befriend Bayless and create a theme song for the show. 
Horowitz, a former ESPN producer, envisioned Undisputed as the synagogue or holy land for the marriage of sports and hip hop. Lil Wayne, Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Young Jeezy, and countless other rap icons joined Skip and Shannon to debate sports. Undisputed represents the culmination of a 30-year process to replace rock with rap as the official music genre of sports. In the new millennium, inside arena and arena or stadium, DJ Khaled's All I Do Is Win is what Queen's We Will Rock You was in the 1980s and 90s. The change in musical genre provoked a cultural shift that has impacted everything around sports, including the broadcasters. When it comes to black broadcasters, sports TV executives like Horowitz value the same characteristics as Lyre Cohen, a legendary hip hop music mogul. Street credibility, a lack of impulse control, buffoonery, and promotion of racial idolatry. ESPN hired Stuart Scott in 1993 and tapped into his ability to blend sports broadcasting with hip hop references. Scott became the gold standard for black sports broadcasters. A decade later, ESPN created, created an opinion-based show, quite frankly, around Stephen A. Smith, which began the process of making Smith the gold standard for black sports opinionists. Scott was a talented broadcaster. Smith was an accomplished newsbreaker covering the NBA. They earned their opportunities, but they were chosen for a reason. They fit the hip hop profile the worldwide leader in sports wanted to project. Let's call them the LL Cool J and Cool Mo D of sports broadcasting. They had no idea that they were blazing a trail for Tupac Shakur and Eazy-E. That's where we are now. Sports TV executives prefer black gangster broadcasters and opinionists over any black broadcaster with real substance. Criminal history, gang affiliation, and off-field indiscretions enhance qualifications rather than diminish. Horowitz hired Sharp after CBS dumped him because of domestic violence allegations and a checkered history with women. Fox Sports hired Aqib Tlaib as an NFL broadcaster despite his shady past on and off the field. Amazon then hired Tlaib to be part of its Thursday night football broadcast team when Tlaib was accused of being a provocateur when his brother murdered a peewee football coach. Tlaib stepped away from the TNF gig. Amazon then turned to Richard Sherman, who was last seen trying to break down a door to confront his wife and her family. Showtime Sports backed and built the All the Smoke Brought podcast featuring Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. During their playing careers, Barnes and Jackson had multiple on-court and off-court indiscretions. Let me add some transparency. I worked at Fox Sports 1 alongside Sharp, Michael Vick, Matt Barnes, Steven Jackson. I covered Aqib Tlaib's college career. I was hired by Jamie Horowitz, no different from Shannon Sharp. I absolutely adore Mike Vick and how he has handled his life after his incarceration for involvement in the dogfighting ring. I personally like Steven Jackson. He's well-intentioned, 
although flawed and misguided. I promote the concept of giving any man or woman a second or third chance at redemption and an opportunity. But sports television has been overrun with a dangerous and poisonous mentality. It mirrors the, map, the rap music world. Matt Barnes is a prime example of what I'm talking about. You guys remember Matt Barnes, he was a journeyman NBA player. He got in a big dispute or a big controversy late in his career uh, when he went to the home of his ex-wife and ended up attacking Derek Fisher, who was then the head coach of, uh, of the New York Knicks. Matt Barnes tried to beat up Derek Fisher, did punch him. And, and in the story that was told afterwards, he admitted on the entire drive over to go attack Derek Fisher, Matt Barnes listened to Tupac Shakur. So yesterday, Matt Barnes recorded an Instagram video that he would call a well-intentioned warning to Skip and Bayless. It's a three-minute video. Let's play the whole thing. Top of the morning, top of the morning. Uh, I haven't really spoke on this uh, Skip Bayless situation because I wanted to see if he had any remorse um, after what he said Monday. And, you know, obviously what he said, first of all, Skip is a, a professional in this in this realm, was very highly respected, and it's put in years of work. So, you know, when people say, you know, read the whole tweet, he said the game was irrelevant. He knew he had to put that at the end of the bullshit he was saying, hoping that we didn't see through the bullshit because how he truly felt was his original first sentence, that how can they even cancel us? There's too much of them. That's how he really felt. But he's very intelligent, and he knew that if he put, you know, somehow this game seems irrelevant now, that some people wouldn't see through his bullshit and, and, and arrogance and, and blatant disrespect for DeMar. Fast forward that, I just feel of late he's been very, very, very disrespectful and out of pocket and that's normal but he's been that way to Shannon and you can see Shannon bite his tongue uh, you can see him you know do deep breaths from not jumping across that table and wringing that man's neck but I think Skip's day is coming and it may not be from a, a firing standpoint because you know we know white men in this profession can kind of get away and do with you know what they want just is what it is um, and it makes good TV. Remember, controversy sells. So, of course, Fox are going to want to keep those type of ratings. But I know personally, personally, that I've had to defuse two situations, one with the coach and one with the NBA player. They wanted to f skip up. Personally, I've had to do it. One was this year, one was last year. But personally, I had to hit, reach out to Unc and, and set up a conversation for people who wanted to f skip up. But... You know, luckily, cooler heads have prevailed. But, I mean, I just see it's just gone too far, in my opinion. Um, and, again, Shannon's had a lot of love or does have a lot of love for dude. But you could even see Shannon's fed up. And someone's going to end up hurting Skip because his ego, his arrogance, his disrespect has kind of always been on this level. But now it's, it, I think it's going to a new level. And, and now he's disrespecting his co-host and, and Shannon. And, and again, someone, you know, they've had a great working relationship over the years. But 
this dude Skip is all bad and, and, and he thinks that he could say and do what he wants and there isn't going to be any repercussions. And there may not be no repercussions uh, from his job, but someone is going to run up on Skip and hurt this man. I don't know if it's going to be in 2023 or 2024, but it's coming. So that's Matt Barnes. Showtime boxing, ESPN boxing. He's on camera, on Instagram, talking like a gang member. Disrespect, that's disrespectful. Someone's gonna run up on Skip, Skip's gonna get hurt. He, now, Matt Barnes will call this well-intentioned, it's a warning. He's not being well-intentioned. He's trying to justify violence against Skip Bayless. This is some straight street, S-H-I-T. This is a gang mentality. That's what he's promoting. That's what they've brought to sports television, a gang mentality. Skip Bayless is 71 years old. 71 years old. Matt Barnes, a bona fide idiot who's, sit, who's sitting there, oh, you know, white men can get away with anything. There's no repercussions. Matt Barnes was an idiot on the court that got turned violent on the court. He's been an idiot off the court, drove across town to go beat up a man who was dating his ex-wife. He's gotten away with all of that. And now he, he wants to record a video talking about, I had to stop Russell Westbrook, is who I'm gonna assume he's talking about, from beating up Skip Bayless. I had to stop a coach from beating up Skip Bayless. This is gang mentality. These are overgrown idiots still acting and behaving like street thugs, threatening a 71-year-old man. And Showtime Sports and ESPN Sports aren't going to do anything about it. Oh, because it's what they like and want street credibility, that edge, hip-hop. Skip Bayless is in the social media crosshairs because of his Monday night tweet about DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo safety who suffered cardiac arrest during the game. Sharp refused to appear on Tuesday's episode of Undisputed because of Bayless's tweet. Because of a tweet, this man refused to show up on his job. On Wednesday, when Sharp returned to the show, Skip and Shannon bickered and beefed to start the show. Let's play some of that. Skip tweeted something, and although I disagree with the tweet, uh, and, and uh, hopefully uh, Skip would take it down, but I didn't want it. Well, yep. time out, time out. I'm not going to take it down because okay. I stand by okay. what I tweeted. Skip, let me okay. finish. Let me, All right, okay. Go ahead. No, you go. Go ahead, let's go, Jen. Okay. I mean, I cannot even get through a monologue without you interrupting okay. me. Well, you could have came back. Skip, well, I thought, Skip, just let me. I'm, I didn't I'm, know I'm, you were going to bring no, up No, this. I was just going to say, Skip, I didn't want to yesterday to get into a situation where DeMar Hamlin was the issue. We should have been talking about him and not get into okay. your not get into your uh, your tweet. That's what I was going to do. But you can't even let me finish my opening monologue without you interrupting. Okay. I was under the impression you weren't going to bring this up because nobody here had a problem with no, that tweet. No. Clearly, the bosses wanted you to offer explanations. So clearly, somebody. No, they did problem. not have. Nobody. Let's go, Jen. 
I was gonna not bring it up. I just didn't want to get into that. I wanted to keep the attention on DeMar Hamlin. That's why I've made it all about me. That's why I've been trending over Twitter for three straight days. That's why everybody's talking about me because I wanted all the focus on DeMar Hamlin. How are these people saying this crap with a straight face? And who's going for this? Oh, you wouldn't even let me finish. I couldn't even finish my monologue. This man's on a debate show and whining that he got interrupted for two seconds on a debate show. A debate show. It's not an interview show. It's a debate show. Embrace debate. They got posters and commercials with them in boxing gloves and who's gonna win the debate. Oh my God, you interrupted me during the debate. Uh, I was just gonna talk about DeMar Hamlin. And we're going for this? People are buying this garbage? This feminine energy that this big Hall of Fame swelled up can still bench press 500 pound pro football Hall of Famer selling? We're caping up for Shannon Sharp? against a 71-year-old man because, oh, he interrupted me, and that's disrespectful. And Shannon, he can't take it anymore. He's holding his breath. He's gonna ring, he wants to wring his neck. And then Matt Barnes with these lies, and again, they're just outright lies. This man is, oh, Skip was, used to be highly respected. When? By athletes. This has been going on for years. Athletes going at Skip Bayless. He hasn't been highly respected, so don't let's don't pretend like Shannon Sharp used to hold Skip in high regard. Shannon Sharp has been playing a game the entire time, using Skip to fix his own financial problems because he got too much baby mama drama. That's all this is about, and he's been pretending to like Skip. And now that he feels like he's got some leverage and his financial problems are fixed, he's now trying to bury Skip. Everybody knows it. He's never liked Skip. Skip ain't never really liked him. I used to work there. Matt Barnes used to appear on my show and used to work at FS1. He knows these two don't like each other and never really have. There's no athlete that really likes Skip Bayless. I don't really like Skip Bayless. He's a weird dude. And he trolls people. And, he, and the way he debates, I find beneath me. The whole little conversation, all the trolling, all of that. I, I, it's ridiculous. But in this instance, in this dispute with Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless ain't done nothing wrong. And everybody running around pretending like, oh, that tweet, oh, the DeMar Hamlin tweet. Oh, it's so disrespectful. We need to kill this man. <sighs> Let me read the tweet. No doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game, but how? 
This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome, which suddenly seems irrelevant. Here's the other lie that Matt Barnes told. Like, Skip put that other sentence at the end, which, which seems irrelevant to cover up the BS he was saying earlier. Go to Skip's Twitter feed. His tweet before this one was expressing concern for and, and sympathy and well wishes for DeMar Hamlin. That's what he said first. And then he followed up with this. Man, NFL's in a tough spot. How can they cancel this game? This is all manufactured and make-believe. The facts don't support anything any of these guys are saying. And they know it. They're lying. This is immoral. This is hip hop. It's hip hop culture. It's get ahead by any means necessary. Shannon Sharp, Matt Barnes, Dez Bryant that piled on, Kendrick Perkins that piled on, and many of the other athletes, they all pretend as if Bayless put a knee on the neck of DeMar Hamlin, like Skip Bayless is Derek Chauvin. And Skip's tweet disrespected Hamlin and all professional athletes. This is hip hop. There's no greater crime in hip hop culture than disrespect. People get shot and killed over disrespect. Disrespect justifies beating up a 71 year old television troll. This whole hip hop mentality, corporate media, has driven that into sports. They partnered with hip hop. And now this hip hop mentality is pervasive. It's emotion over logic. It's racial idolatry, it's chaos, it's violence at the drop of a hat. It's a lack of impulse control. Disney and Fox have allowed sports TV to turn into Death Row Records. Shannon Sharp is Suge Knight, pursuing money, power, and fame by fanning flames of racial animus around his co-host. We keep seeing this in sports TV. It's the exact same thing Maria Taylor and the New York Times did to Rachel Nichols two years ago at ESPN. In pursuit of a new contract, Maria Taylor painted Nichols as a bigot by exaggerating offense to a secretly taped conversation involving Nichols and a friend. I'll go even one worse. What Sharp, Barnes, and so-called Black Twitter are doing mimics what the Anti-Defamation League, the Brooklyn Nets owner Joseph Tsai, and NBA Commissioner Adam Silver did to Kyrie Irving. Irving tweeted a movie poster about the origins of American black people and the Anti-Defamation League and the NBA and the puppets that fear the Anti-Defamation League acted like Irving was the second coming of Adolf Hitler. That would include Shannon Sharp. He was one of these puppets, scared of the ADL, worried about the agency that represents him and the Jewish power brokers in Hollywood Oh, let me go out here and take a dump on Kyrie Irving for tweeting out a movie poster that the ADL has a problem with. What's happening is immoral, unfair, and dangerous. A crazed sports fan 
could very easily attack Skip Bayless over a tweet. A tweet that in no way disparaged DeMar Hamlin or had any impact on his recovery. This is all a victimhood power grab backed by the threat of violence. It's straight from the BLM, LGBTQ, ADL, NAACP, Alphabet Mafia playbook. The Alphabet Mafia controls Hollywood and the culture. Shannon Big Shug Sharp is setting up Skip Bayless to be Tupac Shakur. Shannon Sharp wants all eyes on me. That's my five. I want Royce White and Steve Kim to come in and help me fan these flames. You can email me and us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Stay tuned, Royce White. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. Let's roll out to Minneapolis, bring in Royce White. Royce, uh, I just put together an argument basically saying that hip-hop's influence on sports media is, is, has manifested itself in the beef going on between Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp and all this focus on alleged disrespect. I, I look at an athlete like a grown man, a former athlete, 40-year-old man, Matt Barnes, basically calling, justifying violence against Skip Bayless, all because Skip allegedly disrespected Shannon Sharp and DeMar Hamlin. Uh, I, I, I'm embarrassed by this. I'm, I'm frustrated by it. It, it it's, it's, we've embraced a culture that, the culture, a culture, hip hop, that provokes us and puts us in the mindset of, of doing unproductive, stupid, violent things. Well, first off, um, I don't know Matt Barnes personally. I never met him, but I know a lot of people around him. Obviously, Stephen Jackson is one of my, my co-workers in the big three and uh, a friend of mine. And, and everybody who I've ever met that that's spoken about Matt Barnes speaks highly of him and says that he's a good guy. So I'll, I'll throw that out there first. But to piggyback on what I said yesterday, and I was thinking about this overnight, um, the, the reason why we don't hit women isn't just because they're women. It's because there's no sacred honor in beating an opponent that is weak or unworthy. That's why we don't beat women. And that would also extend to 71-year-old men, um, whether they be white, black, brown, or, or any other uh, race. Uh, so so any, any call against, any call uh, for violence 
or any discussion about violence towards Skip Bayless is is just immature. Um, and I think it's part and parcel of of the hip hop culture, but it's also um, this this uh, distortion of what it means to be a gangster, right? And and I come from the neighborhood. I come from the streets, which is why many of these guys, uh, when I when I have conversations with many of these guys, my conversations are different because th- there's a certain there's a certain um, there's a certain prerequisite of respect that is supposed to come uh, with any interactions between men, and it's and it's determined based on the possibility of violence. That's all men. That's all men. That's all men anywhere. We we interact with each other with some form of prerequisite of respect because we know things can get violent and potentially deadly. Um, but, but I'm from the streets and you know, what a gangster is takes on two forms, two distinct forms. There are men that bent the rules because they understood there's a rigged system and they look to take advantage of that rigged system uh, or, or fight back against that rigged system in their, in their own life. And then there are de- degenerates and psychopaths, right? And what hip hop has done is embraced the psychopathic degenerate identity of being a gangster. Uh, and, and that's where the real problem is. And, and I'm not saying that that's Matt Barnes specifically, but I think I think uh, black culture, hip hop culture writ large has embraced that. And that's a big problem. So. I'm going to connect this to because part of this is Russell Westbrook related, in my opinion. He's gone after Skip Bayless, let off signs like he'd like to lay hands on Skip Bayless. Don't don't call me Westbrook. And and I, I don't I don't get it in terms of of just as a man, some guy that's not in my arena, that that's that's not a competitor. He's 70 years old, he's on TV, and I'm shooting poorly and he's calling me Westbrook. It doesn't make me want to turn violent towards that person. Actually makes me want to shoot the ball better and or ignore that person. I, I just but but we've reached this point of idolatry and where we treat these icons are have just decided, nope. I know previous athletes were heckled in arenas. Uh, I, I know that previous athletes, guys like Jason Whitlock and Peter Vesey, used to write really tough things about them in newspapers, but we're not taking it anymore. We're, we're multimillionaires and we're at such an elevated status. You can criticize Donald Trump, you can criticize politicians, you can criticize actors or whatever, but nope. No one can criticize me. I'm special. And if you do, if you do criticize me, you're racist and you're being disrespectful. Yeah, but that's that's just corny and soft. You know, um, I, I, I would tend to agree because I am an athlete that there there is sort of this pre-baked narrative that we tell where athletes should not respond out of kind to journalists or anybody um, at any time because there's kids watching and, and the 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 influence that athletes would have on kids should be nothing but on the up and up and and I don't agree with that at all I think I think our culture around sports at the broadest level is degenerate uh, I think it's radical materialism I think it's idolatry and 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 every other uh, I think it's gambling I think it's vice I think it's it's sexual I think it's all matters of perversion 
Um, so, so in that context, uh, to, to, to create this sort of ideal, uh, you know, framework that the athletes are supposed to stay in is, is unfair. Now, Taking that to a violent place is a whole different discussion. Westbrook lashing out verbally or responding and saying, hey, Skip, f- you, you know, is one thing. Him saying, I want to beat you up is another thing. Uh, both of them can can implicate character issues when it comes to Westbrook or, or sort of a sensitivity or lack of thick skin. And I think it does. Um, but overall, um, the bigger the bigger problem for me and, and, and this really really uh, hangs heavy on my heart is just the amount of time and energy that most people in our modern culture spend on these petty sports squabbles. Uh, I mean, I saw this video that, that Matt Barnes did or, or a video the other day with Skip and Shannon Sharp, and it just dawned on me that 126 million, maybe it was 162 million people watched this video. 160 million people have a deep interest in what's going on between Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless's personal workplace relationship, and they have no clue what's going on in the House of Representatives. They couldn't name me five people from the House of Representatives besides the same five that the ESPN media industrial complex props up as superstars, right? They wear virtue signaling woke dresses to to, uh, galas, right, the Met Gala. Uh, so, so that, that alarms me is like, I, 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 it's hard from, and, and Matt Barnes participates in that. And a lot of other, my fellow athletes participate in that. And, and so what I'm saying is Russell Westbrook, Matt Barnes, Shannon Sharp, even a Skip Bayless, a lot of these people have this full outrage about these issues, uh, because they know deep down they've been taken advantage of the, by the by the establishment, by the system, by their own bosses in many ways, by their own vices, by their own impetus to sell out. Uh, and, and so they lash out in this displaced way. And so, you know, Russell Westbrook is right to say, hey, you know, Skip Skip talks a little slick and and uh, he is protected by the corporatocracy that creates the space or or, or, or benefits or profits from controversy. And, and in that, it's kind of it's kind of unfair that he doesn't have to ever face any real consequences for what he says. That's true, in a sense. But Russell, take the fight where let, it really let me, is. Let, take let the me fight. Yes. Uh, buttress your point. I, I want to buttress because I want to and I want to clarify my own point because okay. a lot of my problem here is Skip is seventy-one, and yeah. so look. In the prime of my sports writing career, or early in my sports writing career, between the ages of 27 and 40, I would say, as a sports columnist in Kansas City, I wrote some very tough things about athletes. Much tougher than the stuff Skip says, and certainly this tweet, this is nothing. This tweet is nothing, it's all manufactured. But I wrote some very tough things, snarky things, things that, weren't really about advancing the story, they were about entertaining and all that. And, and, and I was critical of athletes, and, and I knew there was a consequence for that. A lot of the athletes did not like me, and when I went into that locker room, and I always went into the locker room, I knew that there were gonna be upset athletes with me. Andre Risen threatened to kill me, wanted to beat me up. Wayne Simmons, he's a dead linebacker now, uh, he died in a car accident. He, he, we used to hang at the same strip club. 
He tried to jump on me at the strip club, wanted to, you know, and Marcus Allen wanted to fight. I, I could go long, just a laundry list of people that had, and, and I didn't whine and cry about it at the time. I recognized it as the price for doing the job the way that I chose to do the job. Other sport, but I was in my, I was in my prime. I was between the ages of 27 and 40. When Jim Rome, I thought Jim Everett, you're young, may not remember this, but in 1994, Jim Rome and Jim Everett, an NFL quarterback, Jim Everett tried to beat up Jim Rome on set during the show. I actually thought it was appropriate. Jim Rome was sitting across from the man calling him Chris Everett, basically calling him a woman. Jim Rome was 30 years old at the time. Jim Everett was 31. These are peers. Jim Rome wants to be disrespectful to this man's face. He got every right to confront him. Just like, I'm just telling you, the athletes that confronted me. It wasn't on a Jim Rome. I wasn't calling him out in that kind of way. But I, I didn't have a problem with athletes saying, Jason, you this close to catching, catching one. I, I needed to know that. that. That put some restraints and boundaries around me. No problem. But we talking about a 70-year-old man and a tweet that was nothing. That's what I find reprehensible. And, that's, and this whole disrespect that, that, that we manufacture in our mind that at all times, everything anyone says to us has to meet our standard of respect. And, and, and if, if not, uh, I'm, 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 I'm capable of jumping on you. That's a hip hop mentality, and that's why so many athletes or so many rappers end up dead, and why the, the, the people that fully, fully embrace that culture, those communities a lot of times are ravaged by vice. And I know poverty and other things play a role, but this whole hip hop culture plays a role too. Well, I agree with everything you said. And first, I want to clarify that I in no way think anything Skip Bayless said about any of these situations over the past uh, week or so has been overtly disrespectful to this player or to, to Shannon Sharp. I think the whole dynamic between Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless is to progressively push each other's buttons to entertain. They both signed on to that. They both take the money for that. That's that's the business they're in. Um, what, what I'm saying is that, and I agree with your point, what I'm saying is that Many of these athletes, many of these hip hop celebrities, many people in our community, the black community, find ourselves over and above the threshold of anger or determining disrespect, as you say, because we lack the willingness or courage to take the fight where it really must be, where it really should be, where it's rightfully laid. And so people should, like I'm saying, Russell Westbrook has a grievance against the corporatocracy. He has a grievance against the establishment. He's unwilling to clarify that grievance because in clarifying that grievance, he will have to sacrifice a piece of him that he doesn't want to sacrifice. And that's the same thing we see in the streets. In the streets, people talk about disrespect while they disrespect themselves on a daily basis. Their concept of respect, their concept of justice, their concept of, of individuality or identity is broken. And it's been broken intentionally. And there is the grievance. But but wrestling with that grievance, uh, taking that grievance to where it needs to be, calls for you to sacrifice a piece of yourself. And it's usually the piece of yourself that you don't want to have to sacrifice. That's Westbrook. That's Matt Barnes. That's Shannon Sharp. 
That's that's Skip Bayless. That was you when you were young. That was me. That's me today. Still, all of us have to do that on a daily basis, and and we we struggle to to be able to do that. Royce, I'm equipped to go with you on a bigger point you made in passing. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there with you and and help you out. You made a point about. Uh, they, they can't name anybody in the House of Representatives. And, yeah. and right now we're having this whole debate about Kevin McCarthy. And, yeah. and people don't understand what the, that this is actually healthy, what's going on with Kevin McCarthy. We should be trying to put pressure on the Speaker of the House or whoever's going to get that job because the Speaker of the House actually controls what gets talked about on the floor. And it, it, what we're witnessing with this, with these holdouts that are like, nah, 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 man, we don't want another uh, globalist uniparty, Speaker of the House, who's going to censor what we talk about on the floor, out in front of everybody. It, it, it's, a, it's a form of censorship that Pelosi and these guys have normalized that the real issues never get talked about on the House and they leave the media and us to talk about all this garbage, all this inconsequential garbage. Skip and Shannon, what's going on with them? BLM, uh, did a, and so, but the house, where the people's house, where they're supposed to debate the most important issues facing America, they don't do it. The Speaker of the House keeps those issues they all get decided in private. Oh, we're going to do this omnibus deal. We're not going to sit out here and carry on a real debate about it. We're going to spend America's money without ever publicly debating it in front of the American people. Give the media the opportunity to say, oh, man, you can get three, four days of coverage off of if the, if the Speaker of the House brought it to the floor and made them debate our issues at the border. Hey, what are we doing about illegal immigration? Make them debate it right there on the House floor. Now the media is talking about that debate about a substantive issue rather than, did you hear uh, Skip put out a tweet that some people think was disrespectful of, <laughs> of DeMar Hamlin? That's the game that's being played on us. And and so it's funny you made that reference because it's like oh well today I can go there with I can go there with. Uh, <laughs> I mean more. it's it's the it's it is the scam being played on us being run on us. So when I look at these situations, it's not that I'm not interested or I can't offer a, a, an opinion or that I don't have a feeling about the way Skip may talk about athletes or the way Matt Barnes responds. What what I understand, especially from the way the narrative is drawn around black athletes, let's say. Because a lot of these black athletes, and Matt Barnes did this. This is why I'm saying it. Matt Barnes, in the last part of his video, brought race into it. He goes, oh, well, Skip gets to say what he wants because, you know, the white man is going to protect him. It's like, you're protecting the white man. You. You and the other cohort of black bourgeoisie athletes or celebrities or public figures that have really been opted into the sellout, but but been offered up as these street characters to keep it. They keep it real. Uh, but but the real ones know, Matt, and we can have this conversation anytime you'd like. The real ones know what real really is, not the real that the media industrial complex wants you to think is real, not the real that Espinosa and Showtime wants you to think is real because they would never have me on all the smoke. And there's a reason for that. But but to talk about the house. 
We have 20 people in this country that are elected officials that understand the scam. They understand the spending. They understand how D.C. has worked. They understand the corruption. They understand the uniparty. And we are hearing a roll call now for the seventh time where Hakeem Jeffries and Kevin McCarthy get the majority of the votes. And 20 people are willing to say, you know what? Enough is enough. And they will have you believe that these 20 people have no justified reason or valid reason to hold out. And the question really becomes like, all of these people who talk about corruption, like Matt, who says, you know, there's some white man protecting Skip Bayless. Who does he think he works for? Who do these black athletes think they are working for? They are working for the very 400-odd-some House representatives and, and the other three branches of government and the administrative state and the deep state. They are working for them to distract us from C-SPAN. It's not by accident that ESPN dwarfs C-SPAN's viewership million percent. I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? If you don't watch C-SPAN, if you're not watching what's going on right now in the House for the, the, the election of the speakership, you have been distracted. You have been psyoped. And, and see, propaganda, the way propaganda works, the way psyops work, it's not just blatant lies. It's half-truths, and it's truth taken out of context. They hide it right in front of you. C-SPAN, public access. Everybody can tune in. You just have to make the decision to tune in. And they put everything around you so you won't. And they will tell you that Chip Roy, that Matt Gates, that that these 20, that Lauren Bolbert, that all of these people are radical extremists. But the 400 people who vote for the Uniparty, whether it be McCarthy or Jeffries, they're willing to print $1.7 trillion and add it to the debt and make your kids pay for it. Make Matt Barnes his and kids. never debate. The whole system is built for our representatives to have these healthy debates about major issues that we get to witness. Reporters get to write about and talk about. It's all supposed to play out in public. So then we can hold them accountable for what they say and what they do. They do all of this stuff in private. And I just want to give you an example. It's just like because I literally before today's show just had this conversation It's like what they've done, what they've normalized, what the Speaker of the House and the people in control have normalized is like, now we make all the real decisions in back rooms amongst ourselves. There's just a handful of us. We make all the real decisions there. And and what we end up talking about on the floor of the House is, hey, we passed an anti-lynching bill in 2021. We've criminalized lynching. Let's talk about that. Let's feed that. But they won't talk about the border. They won't talk about the $1.7 trillion. They they won't talk about the money they keep sending to Ukraine. They won't have all these conversations on the floor because the speaker won't bring them to the floor. And it would be the equivalent if we went back to the 1860s and the speaker of the house like, no, we're not going to debate slavery, not on the floor, not out in public. And it's like, holy cow. So it's a form of censorship. The Twitter files are exposing how they censor and control conversation. And this whole Speaker of the House situation is exposing how they control the political conversation and what the media talks about. And they feed us bull spit. 
They feed us soap opera feuds and beefs and, mm -hmm. and Karen videos. Oh, did you see the white woman who spoke improperly to a Burger King employee? That's racism. Talk. That's what they want us to talk about, not what they're doing and how they're using our money. Absolutely. Yeah, they treat us like bottom feeders. They treat us like we're stupid, and we, we rise to the occasion. We often rise to the occasion. And the, and the reason why – go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to pivot just a little bit because I, I want to get last to see Kim, but I, I – go one, ahead. One, thing I was going to say about what, what's interesting with what you're saying is Joe Biden's our president, Democrats, black people, black people, black people, justice, slavery, racism, the whole nine. That's the narrative. Well, Russia put forward a motion to denounce Nazism at the United Nations. And guess what country voted against it? America. Won't be discussed because we'll be I'm discussing uh, Shannon Sharp and, and uh, but I, I want to make one other point Roy it's a pivot but it's back to what I'm trying to expose with my fire starter and the column I wrote today it's not a coincidence and yes I'm going there and I don't care who likes me and you know the whole alphabet mafia and the ADL can come see me if they want to I don't care but but I'm t this whole thing the music industry and Hollywood industry combining with the sports industry and the executives that run that. And that's why I called out Jamie Horowitz by name because I know him. He hired me at Fox Sports. I know the game that he was playing. And he's no different than Liar Cohen, the, the, the Jewish hip-hop mogul. And it's like they have a profile of who they will support as a rapper, who they'll support as a broadcaster when they're black, who they want to be the superstars. And it's the buffoons, it's the degenerates, it's the compromise, it's the people they can control, it's the people that will promote idiocy and degeneracy and debauchery and materialism and violence. Yeah. There's a blueprint. And, 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 and I'm just sorry there seems to be a particular group that loves that blueprint. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, again, you know, we can dance around it all we want to. There's, there's enough blame to go around for, uh, for many groups of people, right? You and I spend a lot of time talking about the black bourgeoisie and how many sellouts there are. We spend a lot of time talking about the corruption and, and, and sort of evil spiritedness or predatory nature of the LGBTQ movement. Uh, the, the dishonesty of the women's rights movement and, and other movements. all And, and there, this this blame spreads all around the world. So there are groups of people uh, that, that can be held to the fire uh, or have their feet held to the fire uh, of all colors, creeds, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, the anti-Jews have a stronghold on media, on, on the narrative. Uh, and the narrative isn't everything, but it's a lot. It's It's a huge piece of where people's attention is, where people's uh, uh, information comes from, and then can be applied to their daily action. Uh, information is a big deal in our country in our country and in the world, especially with the proliferation of technology. And there are a lot of Jews, uh, what I call them anti-Jews, but uh, there are a lot of anti-Jews that are at the at the helm there too. Uh, and so you know, the call for Matt Barnes 
All of this is, and see, here's the problem we also have. We've become so sensitive across the board. I'm not saying anybody's in a fixed position. Matt Barnes isn't in a fixed position. Skip Bayless isn't in a fixed position. The LGBTQ or women's rights movement aren't in fixed positions. Uh, the people who support or, or fly the BLM flag, not a fixed position. Everybody has the chance of redemption. That's what Judeo-Christian value and, 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 and uh, faith tell us. Everybody can be redeemed. Uh, but we should be honest about where we are and who's doing what. And like I said, the people at Showtime, uh, the people at, at ESPN, uh, the people at, uh, you know, HBO. I mean, pick one. Fox Viacom, Sports. Fox Sports, Viacom. I mean, it, it's very, very predominant with anti-Jews. And when I say anti-Jews, I say anti-Jews because the Hebrew Bible is the sole reason that the Jewish identity exists today. Without the Hebrew Bible and the traditions and the practices that those people were able to carry across 5,000 years, without that, the Jewish identity would have been lost to history like many other identities that have been lost to history. So if you carry a Jewish identity, you need to carry some reverence for that Hebrew Bible because without it, you wouldn't know a Jewish identity to, to talk about or to claim. So when you throw the Bible out, when you say that God is fake, when you say that the covenant between God and Abraham isn't real, when you say that a 5,700-year-old tradition is nothing more than patriarchal or tyranny or racism, you have abnegated your own identity. So it's not me being anti-Semitic. These people are actually anti-Semitic against themselves when you say that the Hebrew Bible is fake because you're, you're denouncing a, a critical piece of history that allowed for the Jewish identity to su survive through the vortex, through the vortex of of, of, of societies and civilizations that rise and fall. Thank you, Royce. Great job as always. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Steve Kim, Crenso Cosell. All right, let's roll out to Los Angeles, bring in Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell, to talk about all eyes on Skip and Shannon. Cosell, uh, can't wait to hear your take on my take that hip-hop culture is at the root of what the beef between Skip and Shannon and the, the chaos, anarchy, the, the little violent turn to sports media. I, I, I'm, I'm blaming sports and sports TV in particular. It's embrace of, of hip hop. Well, I read your column and you know, I think there is a point when, when you get street guys and they don't leave that life behind or they're encouraged to not leave it behind and as they say keep it real and that all-important street cred yeah I, I think there's an element towards that that there comes a certain point you have to evolve and move on to the next chapter of your life i mean i saw that matt barnes video and my first thing was wow we've really gone sideways here when matt barnes is the peacemaker I mean, when Matt is the voice of reason 
things have you, gotten hold, hold, hold for a second. Hold for a second. You heard that as peacemaking. You think he's promoting <laughs> peace in that video. I think in his own way he thinks he is, but I also believe that he understands. He's trying to get credibility within the community and look like, hey, man, this guy's a shot caller like he's James Prince in Houston. And I'm thinking to myself, great, next thing you know, uh, this guy's going to be the modern-day Jim Brown and bring about a truce between the Bloods and his Crips in the uh, – <laughs> in his living room or it's going to be like that middle east thing with menachem Begin, uh anwar sadat and jimmy carter remember they're shaking hands at the, at the oval office and i'm thinking i i really i have a hard time believing that anyone would want to assault skip bayless physically would they want to come up to him would they want to have a few cross words uh maybe send him a strongly worded email yeah but to actually go out there and physically assault a man who I believe is in his, what, late 60s, early 70s? And here's the other thing early about 70s. athletes. Early 70s. Early 70s. And here's another thing about athletes. They're great athletes. They do incredible things. They're genetically gifted. But trust me, I've seen a lot of them try to hit a heavy bag. Not even spar, just a heavy bag. You want to laugh and get a whole new vision of how tough – and I'm seriously – I've seen world-class athletes at the Wild Card Gym and the 10 Goose Boxing, which I go to a couple times a week. Watch them hit a heavy bag, which last time I checked does not actually hit back. It's actually comical. The best thing an athlete can do in situations like this is to threaten, is to curse someone out, and then have your entourage hold you back because you guys cannot fight. You guys cannot hit your way out of a paper bag. It's the truth. So, yeah, in my – yeah, you're right, Jason. I don't think it was necessarily him playing peacemaker, but I think in his own mind he thinks he's doing the right thing while also elevating his own status within that – what you call the culture. Well, I think he's justifying someone running up on Skip Bayless. And he's he was – this was an orchestrated plan thing. You put it in the air. Let Skip know that, you know, we've basically, we've greenlit him. Someone, that's, someone run up on Skip and take a swing at him, take a shot at him. We think it's appropriate and, and it's deserved because of this alleged disrespect that he's shown towards Shannon Sharp and DeMar Hamlin. And, and we kind of talked about this earlier in the week, but... I just don't see the disrespect. I, I, I don't see the disrespect towards Shannon Sharp or DeMar Hamlin. I, I see a guy that takes debating about sports way too seriously, but, but, but he's not trying to disrespect anybody. And, and, and this whole thing about, oh, disrespect, that's the bridge too far, and that justifies violence, that's straight from the hip-hop playbook. I wonder, if that NBA coach or player was Derek Fisher, would Matt Barnes have intervened? Hmm. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be Russell Westbrook he's talking about as the player. That's got to be who he's talking Can about the player. And, and If Russell Westbrook yeah. shot a punch out at uh, Skip Bayless or anyone else, it'd probably miss. But anyway, here's the thing. <laughs> um, I it, it is interesting. Skip Bayless has now become – a very, very easy target. Look, and, and you could argue that he's polarizing and maybe he deserves it, which I really don't think so. At the end of the day, if you let Skip Bayless bother you that much to perturb you to that level, 
to be in your mind rent-free, then he is one and you are weak-minded. There are a lot of things Skip Bayless says that I see on Twitter. I kind of click on and I hang out, God, but I kind of laugh at it. It's not that serious. In fact, I have a lot of Skip Bayless books. Uh, God's Coach, the other one about the Dallas Cowboys during the early 90s. I enjoyed those books. and I, But there are a lot of things that I know that he kind of, I think, blew up, blew up the magnitude of. But I generally enjoyed it, but I don't have any hatred for him. I, I don't believe that he should be canceled any more than I don't think Bomani Jones, for as vehemently as I disagree with much of what he says, should be canceled. And I certainly don't want to physically assault anyone because I'll admit it too. Uh, I can't fight either. But I, it is, you're right, it is a cultural thing because in, in the National Hockey League, uh, I don't think that a bunch of hockey players from Europe, if there's a particularly like a, the Jason Whitlock of the NHL, right? Let's say 20 years ago. Don Cherry. The, say, say Don Cherry. Do you think okay. a bunch of people want to beat up Don Cherry? Right. And by the way, Don seemed like an irascible old guy. I wouldn't want to mess with him either. I know I'm not calling him Gordy Howe, but <laughs> I don't see I, I never saw Mark Messier or specifically Wayne Gretzky want to go up there and get five minutes for roughing uh, for, for something that was said on a column. I, I, I just don't get it. Uh, Skip Bayless, in, in his own way, has won. I think Skip, in fact, I don't think I know, he kind of enjoys this. As they say, no, it's it's gone too far now. Uh, Not not at this point. Not not the green lighting and the physical. Look, I'm with you on that. But in terms of him being someone that causes a stir, that um, is getting a reaction, and maybe it's gotten too incendiary. I agree. But a lot of this, he probably gets off on. Let me flip you back to Matt Barnes, who I think stirring up violence towards Skip Bayless. I, want, I just want to focus in just a tiny bit more on Matt Barnes. If you're ESPN, which he appears on their NBA show, if you're Showtime Sports, which is backing and, and uh, building uh, his All the Smoke podcast, and you watch this video, how do you not discipline, sanction, do something to this man? This is not a good look. It's not professional. It, it's 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 inciting. It's it's literally what the corporate media blames Trump for inciting violence mm-hmm. or blah blah. If you're ESPN or Showtime and you're an exec, what do you think? Or do you think? Well, we're getting some more of that street thread that we love. Yeah. Um, at Showtime, given what I think about them and know about them, they probably love this. This is probably on brand for their podcast and what they believe. ESPN might be different. I, that's the one that might, I could actually see someone from ESPN telling Matt, Matt, look, we're not gonna ask you to take that down. However, stay out of it. Um, we don't want any broadcast members, whether they're with our network or not, being harassed or threatened. You don't want to be a part of it. But at Showtime, it's probably being praised as far as I, from what I know and what I think about that company. I want to move to another analogy I made, and, and if wondering if you can see the similarities that I see between what Shannon Sharp is doing and this feud with, with Skip Bayless. I think it's cut from the exact same cloth 
as Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols mm. and that whole spat. Shannon Sharp is throwing uh, Skip Bayless under the racial animus bus the same way Maria Taylor threw Rachel Nichols under the racial animus bus. And they did it not because they believed it, but because they were trying to improve their contract leverage and power and influence. Maria Taylor at ESPN, Shannon Sharp at Fox Sports. Hmm, that's, hmm. There's no doubt that Rachel uh, Nichols was thrown under the bus and then ran over five times. That, that That's not even a question. And Maria Taylor was able to parlay that into bigger and better things. But um, comparing the two, I think Maria's a more versatile broadcaster. She probably, I think, had more leverage. She fixed more boxes. Number one, she's a black female. And those are always going to be elevated before a black male in corporate America in any role. Just just look at what's happening in our country. Um, what I believe is happening with Shannon Sharp is that Skip has become a target for a certain demographic in our country. A lot of that has to do with black athletes, many of whom do not like Skip Bayless for whatever reason. And by mere association, if there's too much harmony between the two, Shannon may hear like, wait a minute, why are you cool with that guy? Why are you hanging out with that guy? Are you okay with them? In fact, do you agree with them? A lot of guys, no matter what their physical stature is, no matter what their achievements are, they're not built for it. They're really not. They fold under the pressure. They fold like origami. And now that there's an opening, and this goes back to when um, – flat out skip told him you're no tom brady which i do think was a low blow now it became personal and, and maybe shannon says now this is my opening now this is my opening and look and i actually believe in that theory since shannon sharp is now doing his own podcast which seems to be gathering momentum getting some big time a-level guests maybe he thinks you know what i don't need this thing because once something becomes a priority to an option and there's a huge difference at one point that show when he first got it it was absolutely a priority. Now maybe that particular program and the fact that Skip Bayless to the public or a certain group of people in America have become toxic, maybe it's just becoming or has become an option. And maybe now he wants to make a graceful exit. I can't. You said something there that irritated me, but I've now forgotten it. <laughs> well, that happens on a daily so basis. I want, I, I, that's nothing new. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you, you said something. Let me let me get you on this one then. What do you think of my explanation that sports TV has made a mistake by embracing hip hop and and making that the soundtrack for sports? And I, I walk you all the way through. It started with Stuart Scott, and then Stephen A. Smith. And now, like, their LL Cool J and Cool Modi had no idea that, like, oh, and 20 years later, it's going to be Easy e and Tupac and guys like us, you know, Stephen A's still, uh, Stuart Scott's passed away, Stephen A. Smith's still employed. But, but it's like this whole thing, this whole movement of, of hip-hop and the buffoonery associated with hip-hop and just the bad values associated with hip-hop has damaged sports television. Do you agree? You know, that's an interesting thing that you bring up LL Cool J and Cool Mo D. That's the first rap uh, feud that I remember, the first beef. 
and it was very colorful. It went from How You Like Me Now to, uh, what was it, um, Mama Said Knock You Out, then it was Let's Go, and it was kind of entertaining, but you never got a sense that it was going to turn violent. Fast forward to about the mid-90s when Biggie and Tupac died, it changed hip-hop forever, and now it's a blood sport. Just look at the news, Google it, rappers from all regions are now getting shot, killed, maimed, almost on a weekly basis. Just look at the numbers. Zoc Nation News has done a lot of videos on that, giving the evidence. So look, athletes, and specifically the really good black athletes, have always been given jobs as analysts. It's what they do. They're good at it. They have an expertise. And so it's evolved from, you can say, Irv Cross to Stuart Scott to now what we have here. It kind of actually dovetails what's going on in hip-hop. The days of hip-hop being really conscious and talking about a certain empowerment, that they get no radio play. And so I, I do think there is an interesting uh, dovetail with those two comparisons. I think there's a validity to it. But there used to be a time that when you were going to be a broadcaster, right, specifically like, let's say, an Ahmad Rashad, who I thought was the archetype for what everyone wanted to be in the 80s and 90s and the turn of the century, he was very, I think, almost fan-friendly. I mean, he was married to to the lady that played the Huxtable, Claire Huxtable, right? So it was very appealing to white America. Middle America loved him. He had a great career. He was very friendly. And you wouldn't dare think he'd ever be, like, talking about green lights, right? And he was Michael Jordan's guy. And, you know, Michael Jordan had his Howard Cosell. It was Ahmad Rashad. Now you're right. The, the recent generation of athletes is different. They were raised different. They had a different family dynamic. And with that comes a different set. I don't want to say problems, but issues. And these guys do not, or some of them, I want to be very clear, some of them do not leave the streets behind, as you mentioned, Aqib Talib. So I think there's something to that, but I think it goes further than just hip-hop. It can just go all the way into the delving of American culture, of how are these kids raised from day one, and were they ever going to leave the streets behind? Do you ever look at the hires that are made and just say, damn, it's almost like you have to have some kind of criminal record that that enhances your resume. There's a lot of good guys in sports that, but, but the preference yeah, but you know seems what? to be, even, hey, even, even, we... even, even the Huxtable guys like Mark Jones, old Marky Mark, you know, he 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 married a white woman, right? He for years yeah. he never Love gave the up, fruit. right? He never gave a hint of militancy, but now at the turn he's almost forced to be Elijah Muhammad while marrying a Becky, huh? Uh, so so even if you are that Theo Huxtable, well now you got to act like one of BB's kids. So it, it's a it's a tough thing. Baby's kids. You just, showed, you just showed your age in this, Bebe's kid. Yeah, you yeah, normally what? kill I, I, it with your analogies. You're gonna. You, Robin Harris just rolled over in his grave. Go I ahead. Did, but you, I, I never really watched that show that much. I did watch Different World and Cosby. Robin I, by the way, Harris is some, incredible. I've been watching some Cosby Show reruns. What a great wholesome American sitcom. Well, good days there. But anyway, so like even now, and let, and let me tie into that. And I was thinking about this while watching a few episodes last night. I don't even believe the Cosby show would be allowed to air. It's too positive. 
And some critics would say, oh, look at this positive family. It's nuclear and the kids are okay. And they're living in a nice brownstone. And look at them touching in the white supremacy. And in fact, I remember some of the criticism at the tail end of Cosby's show was just that. So I don't know if it's, if it's a network um, agenda to hip hop this whole thing. Or the guys get in that role and feel a pressure. Because I, I actually say this. Guys like you Good and other point. guys that... Uh, guys like you, for instance, and other media members that don't lean into this whole liberal, modern-day corporate media mindset that there's white supremacy, America's inherently evil, okay? That if you don't stay, quote-unquote, on code, and I see it a lot in boxing from Twitter followers that are like, you know what, I don't really like Mayweather all that much, and they're black, you get an avalanche of negative feedback. And it's amazing to me the pressure. And I tell a lot of these guys that I end up following, like, hey, I got to give you a lot of credit because I know what you're saying is honest, but I know it's not easy. But everybody wants to perform. And that that pressure to stay on code, and maybe Matt Barnes is just saying, you know what, let me just do something for the culture. Let me stay on code. I'm with you. Uh, but I'm going to look like the good guy by look like I'm pretending to be Secret Service and being the peacemaker for Skip Bayless, while at the same time also uh, playing, also kind of going out there and saying to these guys, hey, look, I got you. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. That's, that's just my view. It's kind of convoluted. But you asked me for my thoughts, and there it is. I'm going to give you one other analogy for you to work with that buttresses your points. A guy I love and respect, Mike Wilbon. Mike Wilbon mm. comes from an incredible family, graduated from Northwestern University, superstar columnist at the Washington Post, one of the great sports columnists of the last 20, 30 years. And I believe, and you probably do too, he has succumbed to yes. some of the pressure from the culture. There's no doubt. There, there's no doubt about it. I, I mean, the, you, some of the stuff he says now, I say, you really believe that, huh? Based on your background. And I would guarantee that if you went back through all his archives, there are probably things that he said or stated that go directly against the worldviews he states now. Because, again, I think social media, and you've said this for a while, Jason, has changed it. There used to be a time when you began as an intrepid young reporter at the Kansas City Star. You'd write something controversial, something very off code, something that people probably hated. But you said, you know what, I'm going to stand on this. But maybe outside the occasional letter or the fan interaction when you do a radio remote, it really wasn't all that much. Now, think about it, Jason. With a lot of your tweets, I love retweeting you because I just like to read the reactions. It's funny to see these people melt down. But that pressure, not everyone is built for. They're not. Um, I actually think one of the funniest things you can do now, and I've said this before to Coach Jason Brown, I don't block people anymore. I just mute because I want people to have a reaction to what I say if you're going to get that angry over it. And then you could scream at the top of your lungs, I'm never going to hear it. The problem is a lot of these individuals that are in the most exalted positions, they cater towards the public and they start to really bend their own beliefs. And I think that's one of the reasons why Marcellus Wiley, your old partner on what used to be a very fine program, said, you know what? I'm getting out. I'm going to get out. 
I'm going to have my own word. I'm going to have a certain freedom. I'm getting out from the cocoon. I'm going to be my own man. And, and I really do respect that. Thank you, Steve. Uh, great job. We'll see you tomorrow. That's Steve Kim. Uh, we're going to bring on Garrett. But you know what, Justin, if you're ready, just even before we bring on Garrett Bush, I want to play this clip of Garrett Bush from uh, yesterday, I believe, on a Cleveland or two days ago on a Cleveland sports talk show. I just want to set up the conversation we're going to have with Garrett Bush when, when we go to him here in a second. But I, I want to play this clip of Garrett Bush talking about DeMar Hamlin. He, he's Jay Crawford, I believe, is the host of this show. Jay Crawford used to be with ESPN. It's the host of it. This, this went viral of, of Garrett Bush talking about DeMar Hamlin and his reaction to what the NFL is doing, should do, shouldn't do. Uh, this went viral. We're going to interview this guy next, but let's let's play the clip here. Let's warm you up. I'm gonna okay. keep it real. We are we in left field. We in left field. I'm kind of hot right now too. I'm kind of hot because we do this every freaking time something happened on this field. Everybody want to pivot and act like they. Well, I didn't heard people talking about oh. You know, just uh, the mental health of the players. And yeah, you could die. They don't even know they could die out here. We sit here and talk about this stuff every single time. Schedule remakes, how we gonna make it up, what the league feels about it. I, I don't give a damn what the league feels about it. Let's be keep it real. Why we don't talk about the stuff that matter? This young man, you wanna know, you wanna know how, how what this, you need to know about him? He's 24 years old, right? He got a contract for $160,000, that's his bonus, and he earns $825,000 this year. You say, G. Bush, why are you talking about this man's money? Because guess what? He's been in the league two years. That means he's not vested. That means if he never plays another down in his life, he don't get another check for the NFL. My question to you is, NFL, when, you, when, when do salaries become guaranteed? If you know these young men are going out there and they could die on that football field, I don't give a damn what you what thoughts and prayers are. Do the right thing. I just heard Aditi say it seven times. This is a savage sport. Men are dying every week. And you covered that up during CTE. And now you want to act like you the top of the food chain because you got the CPR people on the field all the time? That's the least you should do. You're not going to pay that man's... You, you, you're not going to pay that man's tuition for his kids. You're not going to give him no disability money. You're going to do nothing. All you do is collect them big checks, and we go play fantasy footballs, and I hear these dudes' thoughts and prayers for a whole damn two hours. Y'all don't care about them kids. These young black kids is putting on the line. And you telling them what they put on the line ain't worth it because it, you know why. Because you don't want to pay for somebody that's broken and battered and can't take care of themselves because it costs you money. So it is all about money. And I heard nobody talking about no contracts. And he's sitting up here cashing these checks. We worship these owners. They do anything they want to. Anything. And as long as the product is good, we salute it. I'm pissed off today because ain't nobody talking about the real stuff. There's people out there, players are saying, they just want to wait for us to die. 
I like the NFL just like the rest of y'all, but I'll be damned if I'm going to sit up there and pat Roger Goodell on the back for running this organization the way he does. They run it like a criminal organization. We're going to talk to Garrett Bush next. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back. Uh, Let's roll out to Cleveland and welcome in Garrett Bush. He's the co-host of the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, host of The Barbershop on Sports Radio 92.3 in Cleveland. Uh, Garrett, as we just showed you, had some comments in reaction to uh, DeMar Hamlin and the cardiac arrest he suffered during the Monday Night Football game. His comments went viral uh, over social media. Those of you that watch this show and have followed my work, I'm a defender of football. You know I didn't agree with much Garrett had to say, but I, I wanted to talk to Garrett and hear his uh, explanation or clarification or just engage with him and try to figure out where he's coming from. Garrett Bush, uh, welcome to Fearless. Uh, glad you've joined us. G- Garrett, let me, let's start here for me and the audience. Explain a little bit of your background. I'm looking at the show and I'm thinking, is this guy a former football player, former athlete? Walk us through a little bit of your background and how you got into sports media. Well, first of all, Jason, um, fan of yours, uh, thanks for reaching out to me. Um, I am indeed a, a former uh, football player. I played at college football at Ohio University, a Mac school. Um, and, you know, one of the things. What years? That- Hold on, you stopped there. You're you're a Mac guy. And I'm, I'm a Ball <laughs> State guy. guy. What, what, I, I'm I'm yes, much older than you, I'm sure. But but what years were you at Ohio? U? Um, I went to our university from the year 2000 to 2005. So we're we're a Mac family. My brother played football on the team as an offensive lineman from 2003 uh, to 2008. Um, and my mother went to Kent State University. Uh, she's a Golden Flash. So pretty much. Everybody is a uh, is a Mac guy. My dad had to, you know, buck the trend. He's an HBCU guy. He went to Central State University. So he's the only he's the outlier there. And so Ohio U's got a great journalism school. Were you a journalism major at Ohio U? Uh, no, I was I was not that uh, intelligent to be a journalist. I mean, the script school <laughs> scripts is a, is a place they, they you know, you got to have numbers to get in there. But no, I did go to the College of Business and I, I graduated with a communication and marketing degree. Um, and, and and one thing I, I will say, I have to say this is um, people ask me all the time. You've been kind of uh, you, you've been opinionated about the NFL um, and you've played football in the past. Um, I would say that. Currently, I have about 17 surgeries that I had just for playing football. But people ask me all the time, Jason, um, you had those surgeries. Would you do it all over again? And I tell them yes, Um, because like you, I am a proponent of football and what it means. Um, The game has given me a bunch of things. It's given me an opportunity to go to college for free. 
It's given me an opportunity to teach myself how to persevere, how to become an individual that goes after his purpose. Um, and and it, it teaches you that everything in life isn't going to be fair. So I'll start with that preface saying that I'm a big proponent of football. I love football. Um, there's just certain things that I think that they, we can work on a, a little better in terms of the health and, and policies uh, with the NFL and their players. And so, Garrett, that's a good jumping off point for me just to clarify my position. People in the audience have heard me talk about it, but unlike you, my father didn't graduate high school. My mother was a factory worker. I come from a very uh, humble background. And without football, I would have never stepped on a college campus in all likelihood. Was not a great high school student kind of more of a social animal, class clown type, decent high school student, but no, no college was looking for me coming out of high school except for my ability to play football. And so football, even though I never got a whiff of the NFL, football dramatically changed my life and set me on a course where I've been able to do some great things for myself, my family, friends, and, and whatnot. And so I, I'm a defender of football, and there are inherent risks in playing football, you know, I tore an ACL uh, in 1987 or 1988. I can't remember. Played on it in, in 1988. Uh, but, but I just, it was a fair exchange. What I, more than fair. The benefits I received from playing football far outweigh the, and my college experience was not perfect. Me and the coaches didn't get along all the time. Uh, but, but just more than a fair exchange, and that's part of the reason why I'm such a huge defender of football. Now that we've entered all that into the record, I, 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 I want you to help me understand where you're coming from. At, at one point yesterday, you said the NFL is run like a criminal organization. You, you got to help me understand that. Well, you know, if you've watched the show in context, um, we've talked about some different things um, over the the length of our show. Like we've covered the Daniel Snyder situation. We've covered the Robert Kraft situation. We've covered some things that happened with Jerry Jones. So when, you know, there's been a lot of investigations that have happened with the league, especially Daniel Snyder. Um, and there was a probe that went on and the NFL did not do a good enough job of letting that investigation happen. Um, so when I come from that pr premise saying that, you know, they run it like an orga uh, organized crime organization, I'm speaking to it in terms of a top-down structure organizationally where you it's very difficult to see change at the bottom levels because the top level is very closed off, it's very private, and the way they handle things um, is a lot behind closed doors, same way with the CTE um, settlement. There's a lot of things that happen in the NFL where there's an, a, a, there isn't a lot of transparency, there isn't a lot of um, open book policy in terms of some of the things that they do, and, and when you look at it specifically, what I meant in this case was, you know, the NFL does not have um, guaranteed contracts. But there's nothing that says somebody can't get a guaranteed contract. Um, but when you look yeah, at Kirk the Kirk Cousins has one. <clears throat> Kirk, Kirk, Kirk Cousins, Kirk all Cousins all his money has one. Guarantee. Um, Deshaun, Deshaun Watson, Watson has one. after, yeah. So let, it, let me, let me, this is my more real question though, Garrett. As it relates to multi-billion dollar 
corporations, not just the NFL, just multi-billion dollar corporations in general. Do you think there's a lot of transparency in multi-billion dollar corporations? Uh, no. <laughs> Heck, there, don't, there, ain't, there ain't a lot of transparency in government. So, um, no, I don't think so. However, um, I, I do think that that should be a part of it. I think that should change. I do believe that there should be a level of transparency, especially when you are the NFL um, and you have anti-tax exemptions. A for higher a standard? Uh, yes. We should hold them to a higher standard than Ford Motor Company? Well, Ford Motor Company, you know, I don't know if you're going to get a concussion working at Ford Motor Company. I, you know, my parents worked here in Canton in the Rust Belt. Uh, they didn't they weren't getting concussions. They don't really have. I can't uh, think of the name. I can't think of the name of uh, a major coal mining operation or corporation, but you can definitely damage yourself in the coal mining industry. Do you think there's a lot of transparency there? Well, it wasn't in a day, but I do believe you see those commercials that said, hey, if you have asbestos, call 1-800-so-and-so. There's a lot of coal companies. There's a lot of companies that are being held responsible later for what they should have did earlier as far as informing their uh, employees about the dangers of working in those environments. Not to say that people still wouldn't do it, because um, when you look at the NFL, if you told everybody now they had a diagnosis for CTE, and they told you there's a 90% chance you will end up with CTE. There will be a whole lot of people that still would play football. And so, Garrett, you honestly believe, and having played football all the way through college, you honestly believe that 90%, the overwhelming majority of former football players have CTE? Well, there's a study that um, was shown out of the brain. No, no, not were... the study. Again, you can get a study to say anything. You can get a study well, to mean, say I'm 220 pounds and I'm not. I can, on, uh, I, can only, I can only cite. I can only cite what the documentation is from the studies in the class action lawsuit, and where brains were were donated to science. And those brains, 90 percent of the people that turn their brains into science to be scanned, were some level of CTE found in their brains. Now, that is not the end-all, be-all. Obviously, you do need more research. You do need more things to happen where you can figure out a large sample size. And, and pre-screening is a thing that we should try to CTE, have. CTE can only be diagnosed in a corpse. You have to be dead to be diagnosed with CTE. So there will be no pre-screening. Uh, well, you I can mean, only be you, diagnosed in death. Here was my, here was and, and I I am gonna do a better job of letting you because but but I'm just you played football in the MAC you clearly care about football mm -hmm. this attack on football the reason I'm so defensive is because no industry not rap music nothing has created more not the NBA has created more black male millionaires than the NFL. And somehow we think as black men who have benefited from football, our job is to assassinate football. The industry that has done more for us than any other industry, I think we're buying into false narratives that are trying to kill football. I, I say that I'm 55, I would imagine you're about 40. 41. Uh, yeah. I, I've lived so long and know so many former football players, so many, 
that don't seem to have CTE. I'm looking at Troy Aikman that had eight, nine concussions in the NFL, and he's still the top broadcaster in football. I'm looking at Terry Bradshaw, who played during an era when you could damn near pull out a gun and shoot somebody on the field. Still working. There's Howie Long played defense. I, I, I just don't buy these studies that are rigged to ruin football because they think football is part of this toxic masculinity thing that must be eliminated. I'm just not sure if you're not buying into these popular narratives that really don't serve us and aren't really based in truth. Well, well, let me give you this. You you said a lot there, so let me go ahead and unpack something. Um, Do you believe that you can separate the game of football, its lessons and what it teaches you from the business of football? From the business, yeah, you can separate it from the business of football, yes. Mm-hmm. So so for me, the sport, the game of football, the camaraderie, um, the lessons you learn, the you know, um, the way you live your life after football, the, the life lessons it teaches, I'm all for that. That I'm a product of it just as the same as you are. So that is a great thing that football teaches you. And, and I would never tell my kid that they couldn't play football. Um, I would just try to educate them on the dangers of playing football and what comes along with it. The business of football, which is very lucrative business, I have don't I don't even have a really big I'm a capitalist. I really don't even have that big of a problem at owners making a bunch of money. That's capitalism. You can't choose. I'm I'm for NIL. I'm for players' likenesses, images. And I always say, look, if you're gonna if it's capitalism, have capitalism and keep it real. Everybody should have capitalism, even if you happen to be an 18 year old that's playing football uh, in, in a university. But what I am saying is, at some point, would you not want your organizations and your companies to do right by people in cases where they're just asking for a better way in order to submit? disability applications, a better way to say, how do I go about um, getting approved for CTE, the process of doing that. And and if in the cases of somebody having a life-threatening uh, illness, a life-threatening disease, or being paralyzed on the field, what actions and ways can we go about supporting those individuals so that the majority of black men playing football don't have to be put back in poverty because of a lack of uh, health care, of a lack of resources in the case that they do come up with these crazy injuries. So and 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 I know you don't mean this in any negative way. And I know I introduce race into the discussion. So mm-hmm. I'm not blaming you at all. But we're talking about all players, not just black players. And I know you yes, are, we are as well. You just went there. I, I, I took us that direction and you went there. But let's just talk about all players. Okay. My, my take on football is it's a fair exchange. There's risk involved. There's great reward involved for taking those risks. It is not football's job to stop players of any color from blowing their money on gold chains, cars, drugs, whores, strip clubs, what bad financial deals that they get into. It's not football. Trust me, they have seminars telling these guys, hey, don't have a bunch of baby mamas, don't do this, don't do And so I don't think it's the injuries that are causing guys in great numbers to be broke post-career. 
I think you give a bunch of young people, if, they, if I had been blessed enough to make it to the NFL at 22, 23 years old, I'd have blown most of the money because that's what uh, young be, people I, do. I, oh, great we, wealth, we I would have too. <laughs> yeah, great wealth is actually intended for older people because they've matured enough in life, hopefully they'll make better decisions at 50 than a 20 year old. And so a lot of these young 20 year olds, they refuse to wear a condom, they get a bunch of baby mamas. If Antonio Cromartie goes broke, it's not football's fault. It was his they're, they're, unwillingness you, you, to wear a condom. You, you, you give, a, there is a facts. sample size. There, there is a sample size of uh, players who do blow their money. There's a sample size of players that are reckless. Um, they get in trouble. Um, they have uh, issues with the law. That is a, a definite segment of the population, but th- as a whole, we have that um, uh, everywhere. But there is also, yeah. you mm-hmm. must acknowledge, there is a segment of individuals that are law-abiding, don't do any of that, and just happen to go through a game of football and, and put your body through something where you may not be broke today, you may not be broke tomorrow. Maybe you are living in a, in a great life and you didn't blow your money. A lot of times you you start to see these things develop as time goes on. I didn't leave college and say my neck hurts, right? It didn't hurt. I, I got out of college, never played, when I got a career, got a job. I didn't start noticing problems until my late 30s. So a lot of these people, um, you know, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's mental disabilities, those things really rear their ugly heads at 55, 60 years old in a time and a place where most Americans are vulnerable, even the ones that work regular jobs. So That's it, my it, point. Getting old sucks. I trust me, you're going to live <laughs> long enough to figure it out. It won't be football. It's just like getting old sucks. And so the guy that worked at the factory for 30 years, I, I, they used thing. to hang at my father's bar, the Masterpiece Lounge. And they had aches and pains when they got older. It happens. That's part of the, you get all, and again, the factory worker, may, if he works a lot of overtime, may make $120,000 a year. The, the young football player, particularly now, they're making millions of dollars in exchange for some consequences and effects that will affect them at age 56. No job guarantee, hey, you know what, for the rest of your life, regardless of what happens to you, we got you. Well, I'm not, I'm not asking for that, that specifically. I'm not. I, I'm asking for the cases in which. So you look at. Um, look, we'll go back to um, Demar's case. Um, say, yeah. for instance, you're on the field. Um, something happens to you. You're unfortunately paralyzed. Does the league have anything in place? And, and the great thing about this is, I spoke to Robert Smith, and um, we're gonna have a conversation. He's been involved with the Players Association for 20 years. The former um, running come, back. Former running back. The former Vikings running back. Yeah, go yes, ahead. Yes, former mm-hmm. Vikings running back. And he did reach out to me yeah. and say, you know, there are some things in place through the CBA where if you do have a catastrophic injury, you, I think the sum of money he said is $250,000 you get for the remainder of, your, of their, their career. One of the things that you see me um, and, and when I'm talking and I'm in emoting in that situation is not saying that. Um, these guys want handouts or they should be taking care of the rest of their life. What I am saying is in cases where these things are happening and there are disabilities and there are people that are tragically hurt for the rest of their lives, what are we doing? The NFL says that the NFL cares. We They put it, hey, they run the commercials all the time. My thing is 
How's about having that out there so people understand what it is? How's about having the education? Because so many people, well, so many people came up to me and said, I got it. thank well, you for saying that. But the NFL's job and the NFL PA's job is not to inform Garrett Bush, Jason Whitlock, or fans of your show. The players through the NFL PA need to be made aware of what's available to them. We shouldn't speak out of ignorance about what the NFL is doing and just speculate. Well, since I don't know, they must not be doing anything. And, And then we also can't, they have an NFL PA to represent the players. You get whatever you negotiate. My mother was a union rep in a factory for a long time. They got what the union negotiated in terms of pension, health benefits, whatever. That's the facts of life. We've, on this sports thing, we've put these athletes on such a pedestal that somehow we think DeMar Hamlin has a heart attack or cardiac arrest on the field, and boy, oh boy, the NFL better have a policy in place to take care of him for the rest of his life. I just don't think that's reasonable. Having said that, given all the attention around DeMar Hamlin, I can guarantee you the Buffalo Bills are going to take care of DeMar Hamlin no different than Ryan Shazier with the Pittsburgh Steelers is being taken care of by the Rooney family and the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. He's got a lifetime. They got all kinds of programs, ambassador jobs where they're paying guys fifty, hundred thousand dollars a year. The Rams, you know, take someone like Eric Dickerson, friend of mine, or what the Rams have given him job after job after job. Maybe not for as much money as Eric wants, but he's taking care and we're not even talking about a catastrophic injury. He was just like great player, great for the organization. These NFL owners do a bit more and the NFL PA has negotiated for a bit more than perhaps you I will, will. I will. I will give you. Uh, listen, I'll give you credit for that. The NFL Players Association needs to do a better job of representing their their, their constituents. Uh, you you negotiate what you get when you're talking about you know whether or not you're, you're going to get disability after a certain amount of time. What's the policy? How many uh, applications you have to go out? If I get denied, what my what is my recourses? Those are things by the uh, the NFL Players Association. And I've heard um, people say before, hey, look. When we when they did the last collective bargaining agreement, the veterans don't get to vote. They're they're not you know. So the younger players association is really voting for what the other people are doing. So you know, in the last collective bargaining agreement, their their disability checks were cut up to two thousand dollars. Some people still received up to twenty three hundred dollars. Some people got no more disability checks. Like they just stopped. And that is that is the consequences of what you negotiate because some of the younger players are not thinking about in the moment the older players. It's almost like social security, right? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not gonna get no social security. I you I gotta figure out what I'm gonna do. All I'm saying in this whole process is when we look at it, sometimes I believe that you have a responsibility um, the same way you, you're supposed to provide a, a clean, safe work environment for an employee. And if you don't, if you do not provide that for an employee, you know, there could be repercussions or things that the employee can say. And in terms of football, the game is very dangerous. We know that you sign up for what you get. However, I do believe 
it's not the NFL's it, it, it's not the NFL's sole purpose to provide that. But I do believe there has to be some standards that are there that says, hey, in case this happens X, Y, and Z, here's what you're going to be able to do. Here's what you're allowed to say. And here's what, what our responsibility as a, as a um, as an organization is. And right now they do have that. I just don't think it's good enough. So, Garrett, I don't ask this in a way to demean or diminish. I'm asking authentically. Do you know, have you engaged with any NFL owners during your time as a member of the media? Oh, no, I haven't. I haven't. I mean, we do like stuff where, you know, actually little questions at uh, press conferences, but I have not sat down in depth with an owner uh, and talked about the policies that I'm speaking on right now. I, 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 I wouldn't even talk about the policies, but I'm just if you know them or know professional athletes and can get a professional athlete away from a microphone and just in a real conversation, you'd be shocked to learn what these NFL owners do for former players. And I'm not even talking about catastrophic injuries. I'm just talking about former players that they had an affinity, a connection to, what they do and try the positions they try to put. I'm Because I think you referenced Dan Snyder. And, and I used to know, and still know, Alex Smith, quarterback mm-hmm. of the, the Redskins. And what, when he had that catastrophic leg injury, what Daniel Snyder did for him and his family during that time, these guys very appreciative of. There was nothing Dan Snyder wasn't willing to do for, for Alex Smith. That Jerry Jones, what he's done for his former player, Nate Newton, when he's locked up, and, and what he's willing to do for these former players and cowboys, and it's been 20, 30 years since they won a Super Bowl, but he's, they'll go to no lengths. They'll go to any length to help these guys. It's not this whole demonization that the media has put out there and that these NFL owners, all they do, man, they're making billions of dollars. Just clearly I've never made a billion dollars and clearly you know, I'm, I'm not as wealthy as a, a lot of these professional athletes. But I'm just, when you have wealth, and particularly in the amount that these guys have it, they do share it. They, they oh, no, there's to, no. You got nothing not else debatable. to do. You got nothing else to do with the money. And so, that, that's not, but, but when it comes debatable. to negotiating, yeah. So, but when it comes to negotiating the contract with the NFL Players Association, yeah, they're all businessmen and they're negotiating against each other. But, but, but you just can't give them anything and everything and take all responsibility for self preservation away from the athletes and the league because these guys risk their lives. And, and, and that's the other thing that I thought was overstated. And again, I, I know you said you were emoting or, or whatever, but you basically insinuated that NFL players are dying every week. And I'm just like, I'm not well, getting invited well, to those funerals. Let me, <laughs> let, me give you, let, me, <laughs> let me give you a quick story. Um, you, gave me, you gave me Troy Aikman. I'll, I'll give you uh, Bernie Kosar. We had him on our show. We talked to him. Spoke to him um, off the record for about an hour. And Bernie has had countless concussions. Bernie has had multiple surgeries, right? He's telling me, um, you know, his stories um, about Jim McMahon. He went and checked on Jim McMahon, former quarterback for the Bears. 
And Bernie is is very he's touched because he's saying he's getting worse every week, and he has a conference and they, and they do a conference with players who've gone through multiple concussions, who've had all these surgeries. And, and one of the things that they're they're asking for is they're looking to get help from the for, from the league and saying. Hey, let's get some let's get some treatment here. Let's get some treatment for the families. Let's see if we can get disability for these individuals. And the words he said to me were, "There's a lot of players that I talk to, G. Bush, um, that literally are saying that the league is just waiting for us to die, and and and, and not paying attention." I, I spoke to wives. A wife of a player said, "I I fought the league in a lawsuit for three years to get disability benefits, and and." It was just devastating. He ended up passing away before we got the benefits. I've had people show me their like their lawsuits against the NFL. Not saying these are all people that are the norm, but for every person that they do take care of, there is two or three people that could have an opposite um, experience with the NFL because they're not being able to get the benefits that they think they deserve. In the CTE settlement, there's only 6.5% of the money has been doled out. There are people on a waiting list in order to just get initial benefits from that. And this this settlement has been out 10 years. Now, for me, for me, that that's kind of alarming because that money is sitting there, but there are people that are that could use that. There are people's families that could use that, that money, and they have diagnoses that have been approved under the CTE, um, you know, the CTE agreement. So Yes, there are owners that do a great job of taking care of the players in on a one-off situation. For me, I'm looking for a more holistic approach. There are great, there are great owners out there. I love what Robert Kraft has done um, in, in terms of a police reform, working with guys like Beat Mill. I love other uh, owners that have done different things like there, like that. But for me, from a standpoint, I think when it comes to the health and wellness of the veterans, especially the veterans that are in their 50s or 60s, I think it could be a little better. And Gary, we'll end on this note. I'll let you respond, but we'll end on this note. I, I would just, my suggestion or desire for you would just be, don't accept all the popular narratives pushed by mainstream media, social media, and, and all of that. And, and I don't want to cast aspersions about everybody that's seeking a CTE settlement. But there is a whole different opposite side to all of these arguments. CTE is, there are people that believe it's a manufactured, the, the doctor that they made the movie about considered a joke, his study considered a joke, that CTE is just part of a tool. It's no different than, hey, uh, because again, you can go you can go back to the 1960s and 70s and find newspaper articles talking about global warming and climate change and what's <laughs> going to happen. And I was going to ask Mr. Whitlight, so what are your thoughts on global warming? Now, <laughs> no, but but look, what I'm saying is they can put narratives out in the media, and you can go find old newspaper articles that if this isn't corrected by 1978, California is going to be underwater. And then they just move on and they move the date and then they change it from global warming to climate change because, oh, it's not getting hotter. So let's just call it climate change. And CTE, in my view, 
and there's people that believe this and researchers that believe it. it's no different than the whole COVID vaccine uh, and wear the mask. And if you take the vaccine, you'll never get COVID. And everybody that doesn't take the vaccine is going to die. You got to quit believing everything is pumped <laughs> out there. The CTE stuff is a popular media narrative that I just don't think there's all this truth to it. And I don't blame former NFL players and just think of human nature. Let's say you played football in the 1970s and 80s, 90s, when the sport was really violent, really violent. And there was really a cost for playing this game. And you made 120,000 bucks a year, 70,000 bucks a year, had a job in the off season. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at athletes make 20, 30 million dollars a year for playing a game that is soft as butter in their in their minds, in the old school guy's mind. Right. And there's like, this guy's making 30 million and I had to deal with Dick Buckus. They better (laughs) give me some of this money. I got CTE. I had to play the game when it was tough. They I they're standing on my shoulders making all this money. And so everybody, well, you know what? The NFL's mistreated you. And and they won't say what they really think. That the current players owe us for the sacrifices we made, and they should be fighting for us in their collective bargaining agreements and taking care of us, but they can't say that because it's not popular. What they can say is, man, these NFL owners are taking advantage of us, and we all got CTE, and we're all dying, and we got aches and pains, and the league should be taking better care of us. It's a $20 billion business, and they should be giving us more of a cut for the sacrifices we made. That's what's going on. All of these stories about, oh, every insurance company in the world has got people complaining that, hey, I didn't get my benefits. You denied me this. You denied me that. NFL is no different than, than any of these insurance companies, and they answer to an insurance company because that's who's actually making these payments. It, it, it's just well, well, Jason, you just I'm gonna, can't I, buy everything that's in the media. Here, here's how, and I'm going to give you a counter-argument, and, and we're going to thank you so much for having me on. The counter-argument <laughs> to that is this. There's a concussion settlement in college football, right? There's a concussion settlement litigation, right? You probably know that. You play college football, right? Um I've had 17 surgeries. I said it all the time, right? You know, I, I got to give you a, a context. I got a pain management doctor and I'm paying the insurance when they did. It costs a whole lot to get a copay to go get some injections. Uh, and I ain't, I didn't always have it like that. So let's be, so the thing is, even with that concussion settlement, a person like me, I didn't go for it. You know why? Because at the end of the day, I could have sat there and said, yeah, my neck hurt, my back hurt, I, I'm I, all kind of stuff to get this check. But at the end of the day, there are people like me and people like you that would rather go cut their teeth than earn it. So, no, even if they had an open concussion settlement, there are people out here that just don't aspire to that or espouse to it. And that goes to show you that, no, everybody doesn't think in those terms. I don't think in those terms. If they offer me a check today, I said, you know, give it to somebody that they really need it. I, I don't need to check. Give it to somebody that really probably qualifies for it. So at the end of the day, yes, there are people that can fake it. There are people and science is science. I, I'll, I'll raise my hand. I'm a proud vaccinated guy twice, right? All that good stuff. I don't believe there's no computer chips in it. They didn't follow me um, that I know of. 
Um, but do you believe in the blood clots? Do you believe in the blood clots? The science of the blood clots? And I'm just telling you, do you believe in it? There's some science behind that. Yeah, sure you can. Like having a yeah. vaccine, do you know that it's not clear. Vaccines like generally take a decade to develop, and you took an experimental medical trial that they developed in a few months. That that's crazy. Yeah, I, I took that quickly. I, I actually did. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's, it it's, doesn't prevent you know, anything. You know what the great part the science about it is, is proven that. <laughs> it's a America is a great place. You know why? Because a guy like me who took the two vaccines and a guy like you who didn't probably take the vaccines, allegedly, we can see that um, we have a choice to do that here in this country. So it's awesome. Um, we both I think we were, I thought I was coming into this and I thought it was going to be a little worse than it was. You were you were very nice. Young, you, you, you very treated the young man right here really nicely. I thought it was going to be worse than this. Oh, but. man. I, trust me. Yeah, I have no interest in mistreating <laughs> or embarrassing anybody. No, seriously, I don't. It is because I, I watched your video and disagreed with all of it, but I actually thought you believed it and coming from an honest place. I just wanted to hear you out, offer you another way to think about it, and you know, may circle back to you a year or two from now after you've had a chance to marinate and uh, you know, by the time they come out with all the documentation of the uh, of the the so-called vaccine, you may be ready to say, let me get up off these mainstream narratives. Let me get up off of these mainstream narratives and do my own research and quit taking whatever the the science says, because the science said California would be underwater 20 years ago. (laughs) Oh, man. Garrett, thank you so much. It was great to have you. All right. I hear, or I will be hearing tomorrow playing, and that means we'll see you tomorrow. I just want, I wanna be, I just want